0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld.
1: I believe California has the most far reaching plan to deal with emissions as well as uh, uh, oil consumption and production. Our goal is a 45% reduction in oil production, uh, as well as consumption. And we have the actual method of getting there. And that's what I think is very important. If there are other ways we can even make it better, I will. But make no doubt about it, there is no place in the world that has a more integrated, comprehensive, effective plan to reduce carbon emissions from all sources.
0: That was California Governor Jerry Brown, letting the world know that we don't need to wait for Washington or any central government before taking bold climate action. This week Jerry Brown convened mayors, businesses, environmental groups for a global summit where serious commitments were the requirement for entry. This was accompanied by a lot of suits and speechifying, which for me, are best avoided. Instead, I focused on The Fringe, where you could learn about everything from making climate-friendly beer to meditating with the Brahma Kumaris. There are a ton of cool art projects, from a 20-foot bear made out of car hoods to Taiwanese artists from Bamboo Curtain focusing on plastic pollution. Art helps us focus on more than science and number crunching. Most of the messages around climate are in the words of activist artist Faviana Rodriguez, hella boring and tone-deaf to the realities of normal people. As a way of finding out how to change the conversation around climate, I spent five days hanging out with filmmakers, explorers, religious leaders, chefs, and everyday people marching for change. I start the week outside Colon Ice, a photo exhibit with massive 50-foot video projections of images of melting ice and people up to their necks in floodwaters. I meet up with Swiss adventurer Bertrand Piccard, who's the first person to go around the world in a solar-powered plane. Bertrand, why did you come all the way to California for Jerry Brown's climate
2: summit? Because it's very important to show that there are solutions to the problems. Very often in all these big gatherings, people repeat all the problems, uh, all the consequences of climate change, and this depresses everybody. So we have also to speak about the solutions, and California is an example of that. You know, when Governor Brown is signing a bill... To have California 100% renewable energy by 2045, the rest of the world has to know it. Because the rest of the world is hardly daring to put 2045 as a target to get rid of diesel cars in the cities. So everything depends on the, on the power and the ambition and the, the minds and the pioneering spirit of some individuals And we have to push the others also to become pioneers. What's the big goal that you wish California was adopting or other states? The strategy to reach it is not only to produce renewable energy. It's also to consume less energy by being more energy efficient. And actually, what is the most profitable today is the energy efficiency. And you built the most energy efficient plane that probably will ever be built. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and I'm happy you, you understand it, because very often people only think solar impulse is about solar energy, but it is about energy efficiency. That's absolutely for sure. Otherwise, the energy of the sun would never have been enough. Talking of energy from the sun, just around the corner from Bertrand is Mayor Mohammed
0: Sefiani from Cheshouan in Morocco. How did you decide to come all the way from northern Morocco to San Francisco for this summit? Climate is very important for us in Morocco, in Africa, in the Mediterranean area. Tell us about, like, how you're doing renewable energy in your town. Uh,
2: with the, the leadership of the, uh, His Majesty the King of Morocco, uh, two years ago we had the biggest plant of energy solar in the world, in Wazizat. Uh, so uh, in Morocco we have a uh, 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 great commitment to uh, implant uh, uh, renewable energy and uh, efficiency energy And uh, in cities like Schiffshauen and other cities, uh, uh, we are committed to implement at local level level the the, the Paris Agreement and uh, using uh, sustainable energy and uh, and, uh, working together uh, with people, with uh, civil society uh, to uh, implement the Paris Agreement at local level. Next up, I joined more than 30,000
0: marchers walking down Market Street in San Francisco. As a student, I was there for every march and rally. I remember when the entire University of London marched against Margaret Thatcher's proposal to require students pay for college. The police went through the crowd on horseback, picking up students by the hair and dragging them off to jail. Today's event is a polar opposite. The sun is out, there are tons of families, and there's a sense of hope in the air
3: my name is Emily Williams and I am here because it's time that we actually put our money and our actions where our mouth is Uh, Jerry Brown um, is very excited to have this climate legacy and he's promoting renewable energy but at the same time California remains in the top three or four uh, states when it comes to oil extraction and so at the same time they were promoting renewable energy we're also drilling and fracking for this heavy, dense crude oil that's fueling the climate crisis. And so if we're really gonna tackle this crisis, we need to think about what it means to actually stop drilling for oil, keeping fossil fuels in the ground.
1: Women united will never be defeated. Well, I think one of the most important untold stories of climate change is that women are impacted first and worst by climate change, but they're central to solutions and study after study shows you actually can't get to sustainability unless you have women's leadership. You really need to have women in their leadership roles. Patriarchy has been around a long time and it has really set up these roles that are not healthy for humanity and women are the one that have the social capital to bring people together to do the recycling, to do the work in the communities that needs to be done and we're seeing this all over the world. We live in a time in which these systems of oppression link us. The systems of patriarchy, sexism, racism, colonization, capitalism are all linked to the fact of a dominator worldview, dominator dominating over women, dominating over people of color, dominating over the land dominating over the poor. So we really need to unite our struggles together because they're all based upon these ideas of um, rule by the few and oppression to the many. And we're really needing to turn that upside down. So that's true with the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, we're all fighting these systems of violent violence and oppression against women, people of color, indigenous people, and the land. And that system has to change.
0: California a leader or a laggard?
1: I think a mixture of both. Governor Jerry Brown has absolutely got to do a better job. Oh, yes. In his watch, there's been 20,000 new oil and gas drillings in California. That is not good enough. People are dying on the front lines uh, in communities of color, particularly in marginalized communities in California. And that is not a climate leader. Scientists are telling us 80% of all fossil fuel reserves have to stay in the ground. If you're drilling, you're not doing your job.
0: What is your name?
1: Osprey Orio Lake. Oh, climate justice,
0: climate justice now. So Woo. what does climate what does climate justice look like? Where they stop drilling our oceans, taking taking away our land. That's what climate justice looks. Stop drilling now. So people around the, con- the world are coming to see Jerry Brown, and they they think California is like the greenest place on the planet. We try. We set the example. That's why we're out here today. For the world to see. Save our planet. For our kids, our grandkids. Still fucking
4: fracking going on in California. We're trying to stop it.
3: Thank it's
0: you. Make
4: a Thank you. What's your name? Jennifer.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. Okay, man, where are you from?
4: I'm from New Orleans. This is like a
0: party. It really is. This well, is they, like a street yeah, party. Like yeah. climate change has been so miserable for no, so long. He
4: wants to en- engage with grim people. Like let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But this is what people want to join. Absolutely, yes. They want it. They want to dance. They want to have fun because we can have some joy in the battle. Just so you know, so a second line in New Orleans, when someone dies and the band plays, everybody in the neighborhood just joins in and follows the band and marches with the band, right? And so, in a way, this is kind of the second line, right? You play, people jump in and they march with you. Are you having fun, Sean? Now I am.
0: (laughs) How green really is California? A lot of people in the parade are complaining about Jerry Brown really not being that green.
4: Well, it's relative, isn't it? So I think that we're greener than a lot of places. We just passed legislation calling for 100% renewable energy. It doesn't all happen today. But I think we're really on the right path, and I think we are leaders. And of course we have problems, right? There's never going to be... a a perfect solution to anything. We have problems with gentrification and racism and all those other things. But yeah, I think that
5: our hearts are in the right place and I think we're moving. We represent parachutes for the planet, and we have the parachutes that are up in front of you, and this one um, represent communities from around the world that have made a parachute to save the planet Earth. We have them coming from Madagascar, Cameroon, India, all over over the world. This was the parachute that inspired it all. It was carried last year in the People's Climate March in Washington, D.C. It was made by my daughter there. And it says, kids are the future. You owe us a livable planet. And she took it around to schools in the area and got 1,600 students to sign it. I'm
0: going to go and talk to her.
5: Her name is Callan. My name is Kimberly Benson.
0: So Callan, how old are you?
3: I'm 14.
0: Okay, And what prompted you to come up with this parachute idea?
3: Well, I went to the First People's Climb March when I was 9 in 2014. Um, which was really a special experience. I was really moved, so when they announced the second People's Climate March, I really wanted to do something big.
0: So why the parachute? It's
3: practical, so it's pretty easy to hold and march. And then B, it's the idea of a safe landing on climate change.
0: Do you worry that we won't have a safe landing?
3: Yes, all the time, (laughs) definitely.
0: And what does that make you feel?
3: Oh, it makes me feel scared, it makes me feel sad, and it makes me... I know that if there's another... There's going to be another generation after me, and they're going to have it even worse. And with a lot of kids, it's so easy to feel isolated, like you're the only kid out there who's doing this. So you really have to... You have to find those other kids who are working on this, and you have to be... You have to be a movement. You can't just be one person.
0: Well, you're doing an awesome job. Do you think the current generation of political leaders are doing enough to combat climate change?
3: No. No, they're not. (laughs) We have to get further.
0: So the Reverend Sally Bingham, why are you marching today?
5: Well, we all know that climate change is destroying life as we know it and affecting all aspects of life. And the faith community sees this as a Really important moral issue that if you um, if you care about your brothers and sisters on the planet and you care about the creation that God gave us to to enjoy and live with and by um, we have a responsibility. I think people of faith are more responsible because we're the ones that sit in the pews and say we love God and love creation. We say and are commanded to love our brothers and sisters. If you love your neighbor, your brothers and sisters, you don't pollute their air. And so as a as a person of faith, I see this as the top priority for our religion, uh, not just ours being mine, being Christian, but for all religions, all people of faith who profess a love of God.
0: I was inspired by what Sally said. So the next day I went to Grace Cathedral for a multi-denominational climate blessing.
2: Allah!
0: Along with those beautiful Muslim and Hindu prayer songs, we hear from Augustin Rancherero an Otomai Toltec leader from Mexico.
1: This unification that is calling us to come together, not just as peoples, not just as people, but all beings. This is the call, this is the prophecy of the eagle and the condor, this is the prophecy of the phoenix and the dragon. We commit ourselves as well to share our our wisdom, to create not just peace on Earth, but peace with Earth. We commit ourselves as well to share wisdom as native peoples of the world, continuing caring for life, continuing caring
0: for each other. Where to go next? There are literally hundreds of eco-events to choose from, and yet it seemed appropriate that climate-friendly cuisine was my next port of call. I asked Adam Stern, why in a city of foodies so many chefs
2: are now focusing on climate? When you look at the carbon footprint of people in this area and lots of the country, uh, on a consumption basis food is approaching 20% of the carbon footprint. So this is a real opportunity by setting ambitious goals and even doing something personal, like saying you're going to reduce your meat intake by not eating meat one day a week. That's 15% of your carbon footprint related to food. And collectively, that can add up to a huge impact in terms of reducing emissions. In fact, I've seen one statistic that if everyone in this country were to take food uh, meat out of their diet one day a week it's the equivalent of removing 11 million cars off the road which should probably nearly be enough to meet the paris commitments that would
0: certainly help still at the climate friendly cuisine gathering the food was amazing so i couldn't leave i talk with pacifia chang who founded the loving hut vegan restaurant
5: chain so uh, this is uh, very unusual to have a one-day session on this topic. So we came forward to know and support uh, this wonderful initiative.
0: So vegan restaurants seem to be doing really well.
5: In U.S., roughly, we have 6% of vegan. Maybe it's growing now. That was a, a old statistic. And uh, from that, if you calculate by the San Francisco's population, we are really supposed to have 200, 300 uh, vegan restaurants. In this area, it's actually not as many. So they are doing very well. When all the praying just bringing the rain,
3: and the whole city
5: has been...
0: This week's been about many things, but one of them is bringing local government leaders to the fore, which meant that I was lucky enough to sit down with Patricia DeLille, the mayor of Cape Town. You may remember that in March of this year, Cape Town was only a few weeks away from completely running out of water. They called it Day Zero. I start by asking Mayor DeLille what it's like being mayor of Cape Town.
6: I started... Uh, in the struggle against apartheid, uh, protesting in the city of Cape Town. And today I'm serving the people of Cape Town, so I've come full circle.
0: I remember standing on um, Tabletop Mountain and looking down, and there's beautiful greenery, but there's also quite a bit of industry.
6: Yes, quite a bit of industry, a lot of urbanisation. It's the second fastest growing city in South Africa. People are coming to the cities looking for opportunities, And because of the fast growth, we've grown about 30% in the past 10 years. A lot of informal settlements sprang up across the city uh, with people living in informal settlements looking for opportunity. So, uh, yes, it is a beautiful city, but uh, like all other cities around the world, uh, we have the challenges of climate change.
0: When did you first get an advisor that came in and said, Ms. Mayor, we've got an issue here we might run out of water
6: so in 2016 we were using 1.1 billion liters of water per day and we had to reduce that two years later to about 500 million liters of water per day but it really took a lot of effort to say to people, you can only save water while you have water. You have to change your relationship with water. We moved up the tariffs so the more you use, the more you pay. And some of the the high end users who didn't want to listen to us because they could afford to pay, I simply went to all of those big multi-story houses in Cape Town connected a water meter that restricted their water usage to 350 litres of water per day. They didn't like it, but everybody got the message. So it was a very sharp learning curve. I always said, I can never allow a well-run city to run out of water. If we had to run out of water, we were going to become the first city in the world to do so. So all the effort and the mobilization with the private sector, with civil society, with our communities, our school children, they became good ambassadors because they were now policing their parents at home to save water.
0: Climate change became real because in California, we've had six years of drought. But if someone said there's going to be a day where you run out of water, I mean, how did it make you feel? Did you wake up like nervous each day that we you really would run out of water?
6: It was really the worst drought in 100 years. So there was no record of anybody having to dealt with the worst drought in 100 years. So we had to come with a very strong message. Day zero was going to come when our dam levels reach 10%. Then we were going to switch off some of the taps But in the end, it was pulling together all of us uh, to avoid day zero. Because we then also realized that we can no longer rely only on rainwater to fill up our dams. So we started desalination. We currently have got three desalination plants going, pumping about 1.6 million liters of water per day. We started looking at aquifers. We started using underground water. We started using uh, treated wastewater. And, and all of a sudden, you know, people realize uh, uh, that water as a resource is life.
0: Was it the most difficult political test of your administration?
6: Oh, most definitely. I tell you, I had sleepless nights. I met with the administration every morning from nine until 12. A lot of uh, opportunity also came out of the crisis because the one way of saving water was to minimize the leaks. So we employed more than 1,000, what we call community plumbers. We trained them and they went door to door. They fixed little washers, they fixed some pipes. Um, And we also used the same people to knock on every door, to talk to people about water, but it was not easy. The one thing I could not do was to rely on our national government. Uh, In fact, it was not in the interest of our national government to save the city of Cape Town. They were going to assist us to build a big desalination plant, but they wanted to build it under their conditions, their contractors, because it's their money. And, and we said, look, for now, desalination is an option, but it's very expensive. Somebody has to pay for that water. But they didn't give us that choice. And so I said, Mayor Patricia DeLille, you're on your own. <laughs> it is your reputation that is at stake here if your city ran out of water. And so every morning when I woke up, I said to myself, I will not allow this to happen to my city.
0: Well congratulations on, I mean it's amazing and it, it kind of sets a lesson for the rest of the world yeah. in resiliency and yeah. you're still smiling.
6: Oh yes, but I must tell it was really two years of hell.
0: We had a correspondent in South Africa called Dana Smirin and she went to yeah. farmers and they were very nervous, their water supply, their crops.
6: At least some of the farmers were naughty. Uh, they were actually stealing water out from the rivers and blocking the rivers. So. All the water could not run in into the dams, uh, but the impact on farmers were also massive—a number of job losses because they were not going to get their full uh, vineyard crops and other crops. That they lost about twenty nine percent of their exports of fruit from the Western Cape. But in the end, it was for survival of all of us.
0: You've come all the way, probably one of the furthest mayors to come to Jerry Brown's conference. What do you hope to bring back?
6: I've come here because I'm always inspired by meeting with mayors from around the world and just the network of, um, because as cities, we are the drivers of change. Uh, It is in cities where the rubber hits the road, where people expect us to protect them and to mitigate climate change.
0: So this week, Jerry Brown announced that he wants to get to 100% carbon-free energy by 2045. Is that something within the reach of Cape Town? Does that that give you ammunition to go back and say, we can do the same?
6: Oh, yes, most definitely. Our major problem for carbon emissions is transport, 64% of our. So we have just acquired our first 11 electric buses. But long term to deal with carbon emissions is that uh, we need to change the spatial planning of cities. People are living too far out of the cities. Cities city been designed for cars with all of these highways. We now need to bring people closer to work opportunities, commercial opportunities, so they don't have to travel that long spaces. But um, in terms of the Paris Agreement, uh, and Governor Brown is correct, um, although the national government signed all of the agreements there, but the people responsible for reducing and meeting the Paris Agreement targets, it is with with, with the states and and with with cities. (laughs)
0: One of the fabulous changes I saw this week was that women like Mayor DeVille helped shift the focus of the conference by broadening the discussion from just looking at greenhouse gas emission numbers to taking action on sustainable agriculture, water, and land use. On the street outside the meeting, I asked Sonia Trauss why it's important to have women's voices at the table when we talk about climate change.
4: High-density housing is one of the paths to ending climate change. Um, It also is a women's issue. You know, when... Housing is close to daycare, close to school, close to work, when daycare is close to work. The, the more that we can keep people from having to make trips, um, actually the more productive time women have, because the reality is women are the ones that wind up carting the kids around. So the suburban form is a form that's designed for men to leave their nuclear families, travel far to where they work, you know, and leave the women and kids all together. Uh, but that's not how we work anymore. That's not how we function anymore. The like surprising side effect of Trump winning is that women were like, well, I guess if he can do it, I can too.
0: Thanks to the thousands of people that march for climate justice, to explorer Bertrand Picard, Emily Williams, Sean Rosenmos, Kimberly and Callan Benson, the Reverend Sally Bingham. Augustine Romero, Adam Stern, Pacificia Chang, Mayor Patricia DeLille, and Sonia Trauss. The summit will probably be remembered for the commitments that were made to tackle climate change or for the fact that the rest of the world can now see that Washington, D.C. does not represent the nation. For me, this week was about recharging my batteries. Even though I'm totally exhausted, it's a good feeling artists were given the same weight as scientists, indigenous voices could be heard above the din of old men in suits, and women are now sitting in the driver's seat. Prioritizing the voices of those already most impacted by climate change is the key to developing effective solutions. It's great to see the focus shifting from anger around what national governments have failed to do into a positive agenda for action. Next week, we'll review the latest environmental movies and talk to directors, producers, and, of course, the stars of the movies. Please like Podship Earth on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and me, Jira Blumenfeld. Have a fabulous week.